And we end up talking about everything but Christ, who is everything and all in all. And worship is about Jesus. At the end of the day, it's because of Jesus, and it's for Jesus, and it's through Jesus, all of it. Uh, my life has uh, been about worship for <clears throat> as long as I can remember now. Uh, I, I do know that coming up in the church, and I'll just give you a little bit of my background. I mentioned that I'm a, a new pastor, so go easy on me, all right? Uh, I would love to hang around with you today now that I've joined the official ranks of, of the priesthood um, and learn. I've spent about 25 years of my life as an entrepreneurial movement leader. That's a clever way of saying I don't know what I've done for the last 25 years, but I hope that it's something. And I never set out to not be a pastor. I just got busy doing the things that were in front of me to do. But as I got older and older and older, a few things started happening in my heart. And I'll save you that whole story, but it's a pretty powerful one for me. But I began to get in touch with this idea that I might have a season or so to go in this life. And I don't want to lay down at the feet of Jesus the fact that I've spoken in so many churches. I can add this one to the list now. This would be one of the more impressive ones. This place is awesome. We try to emulate this in America, by the way, you know, this ancient future worship stream that sort of came along and then went. didn't last very long, sadly. Um, you know, you got to be on your toes to keep up with worship, by the way. Do you know what I'm talking about? I grew up in traditional worship. Do you know what that is? Anybody here grow up in traditional worship? Okay, one person in the back raised their hand, but <clears throat> by the fact that you raised your hand lets me know that you really probably didn't grow up in traditional worship because... <laughs> I grew up in the first one of the kind of the churches that I went to in my town. Amazing church, by the way. Phenomenal leader. Probably the best expository pastor of our generation, potentially, uh, at least in America. And I grew up in this church, but it was very much three hymns and the sermon. And, uh, but occasionally on Sunday nights, we'd go crazy. I loved Sunday nights because we would sing at the end of a service on a Sunday night, one of three contemporary choruses. They were, um, you don't know any of these probably, but, but um, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds was one of them. Do you know this song? Blessed be the tie. You know that one? Okay, that was one of them. He is Lord was the second one. Um, did anybody know this chorus? And the third one I don't remember, so it didn't leave a lasting impression. <laughs> but I'm off the subject already, so I'll come back in a minute. I just want to see you. I'm trying to figure out who you are and uh, let you kind of figure out who I am. Uh, on, on occasion, on the Sunday evening, the Holy Spirit would fall on our church, and we would uh, actually join hands and, and lift our hands. Joined. N not unjoined, but joined. Is anybody tracking along here? Martin, you're looking at me like you have no clue what's going on. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? You would, you would pistol grip it with your neighbor. And, you know, you'd have the one-way sign going to heaven. And you'd be singing, He is Lord. And it was as good as it got. I mean, this was like full on, oh my goodness. But occasionally, not every Sunday night, occasionally, we would actually join hands across the aisles. Which, being pretty clever, I happened to strategically sit in certain places and pray for the Holy Spirit to move 
so that you could just coincidentally be across the aisle from that girl that you were interested in. <laughs> and all through the night, you're like, please, please let this be one of the across the aisles nights, Lord. I'm really praying it'll be across the aisle. And, you know, if, if you did go from here, this was amazing to me. We're talking about theology today. And theology gets so jumbled up sometimes with practice. And ours did. Because if you were here in worship with your neighbor, it was perfectly acceptable where I came from. But if you were to separate at any point to here, you shifted theologically in that moment. <laughs> Notice some people laughed and others thought, oh my gosh, where is this going? <laughs> you went from being an evangelical conservative, which was fine and well, to being a full-on charismatic in the, in the span of three inches of space. And I'm telling you, people will come get you. If, you, if you. if you went away, they'd find you. You wouldn't be there long before. They'd get you back, and then they'd have you back in the pistol grip. That's where I grew up. I was 20-something years old before I went to a service where people lifted their hands, and it, they didn't get asked, you know, by the ushers to see them in the foyer. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, it was an amazing church. Some of you can't work that out maybe in your way of thinking because of where you've come from, but it was a phenomenal church. Pretty soon, the uh, contemporary worship movement snuck in. In our country, it came out of the hippie movement of the 60s, the Jesus movement. And people started writing love songs to God. Can you imagine that? They didn't have four verses and seven-syllable words in them. They were just a generation of kids trying to tell God how much they loved him. And those songs first came into the youth group, a little music book we had called Sing and Celebrate. And then they started working into the Sunday evening service. And then eventually they just took hold right smack in the middle of the church, and it is still hellacious in our country. The combat between the traditional folks and the contemporary folks, and some have just camped out on the fact that yeah, there you have to have a robe on, and it has to be this way, and then others have camped out on, no, you have to have a guitar, and it has to be this way. And the contemporary worship movement was born. It's pretty amazing to see how that happened. Some churches couldn't decide if they wanted to be traditional or contemporary, so they did one of each. And that was a weird thing because we had the traditional worship at 8 because those people like to get up early, apparently. Contemporary worships later at 11 because, you know, they're the young, young at heart and they sleep in. But then some churches got crazy and decided that we should not have two churches worshiping separately in the same church. We should put these churches together. And the way that we'll do that is we'll sing some hymns and some choruses, some of the old and some of the new, but which is a really a weird way of thinking because, you know, I'm from America, so we don't even know what old is. Is, so it's kind of hard to even get inside that. Martin reminded me again today that his house is older than our country. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, to which I reminded him that's why it's cold and damp in there. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, hello. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So we hold on to hymns like there's some ancient treasure of the church. 
Boy, this one was written in 1711. So don't give me that. You wrote that course last month, business. I'm telling you, this one's in a hymnal, and it's been sung for hundreds of years, to which God goes, oh, my goodness. They're singing a hundred-year-old song. Don't you know that just impresses the daylights out of him? You know. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and we're either singing songs that are a second old or a minute old. But they decided they'd put these things together, and they, they did, I don't know if some of you may have done this, I hope, hope not, blended worship. Have you heard of blended worship? Anybody? Nod along if you have. That's putting it all together. And let me describe blended worship for you, if I can, from a rookie pastor's point of view. Blended worship is when no one's happy. <laughs> and it's just been an evolution. I mean, this band came along called Delirious and made this little thing called uh, Worship in a Can. Changed the world, literally, worship-wise, music-wise. And so we had the modern worship movement was born. And then we had um, ancient future worship, I mentioned. We've had um, every other strain you can imagine of worship come. We have emerging worship now as the big subject in our country, which is a, an interesting thought. I, I, I'm curious about emerging worship. I wonder when it's going to come and what it's going to be like. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just being honest. I, I'm not smart enough to understand most of these things. But the emerging church to me is an interesting concept and must be really interesting to the Apostle Paul. I mean, it must floor him to be in the conversation about the emerging church for which he served with his life 2,000 years ago. And so you sort of peel all of this back and you start understanding that the music is a very transient piece of the equation and that Christ is the central character in the story. And that what must happen is that we must see him, be moved by him, be changed by him, and then respond to him. And that's what worship really is all about. And if worship gets involved, if music gets involved, fantastic. But it's not necessary to the equation. Do you believe that? If music gets involved, that's great. But it's not a necessary ingredient to worship happening. It is a biblical ingredient, so we are happy about music. But it's not a necessary ingredient, ingredient to true worship happening. So we just planted a little church in Atlanta out of a movement I've been a part of called Passion. We've been sort of pegged into the modern worship side of the equation. Didn't even know what that was, but apparently we were one of those. And we have now planted this little church out of this movement of university students. In fact, the reason we had more Atlanta people here, I'll tell you why, is because I brought them all with me. Um, so, to be honest, um, not so much, but we had meetings in the, all over the country, actually, with university leaders in the last few days for an event that we're doing in London. We did an event last year in London with about 3,000 university students at Hammersmith Apollo. 
from all streams together, just talking about what it means to live for the glory of God. It's so exciting. And that's been our mission around the world, is to inspire a generation of university students to live for what matters most. And now out of this movement has been this church plant in Atlanta. Um, pray for us. Our worship leaders are this guy named Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin. So pray for us. We, we need help. Um, and Matt is my neighbor, I was telling Martin. It's so weird uh, to just go out of my house a mile. And I don't know if you know that Matt left your nation or not, but he did. And um, <clears throat> I think he's kind of tried to keep it under the radar. And I'm sure he'll be back at some point, but it's been amazing having him in Atlanta. And our hope is the same as yours, and it's to see a city awaken to the glory of God, to see the world awaken, to worship a glorious God. So I want to speak to that for a little bit this morning. I'd love for us just to pray together. You know a little bit of my heart, where I came from. And I know a little bit of yours now by watching how you reacted to all those various streams. And so I kind of at least know a little bit about what's going on. But let's pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real to us today. Let's don't be lost in the fact that many of you are church workers and leaders. That just simply tells me that you're probably tired and massively frustrated. Some of you may even be spent and here, but on the verge of just wanting to cash it all in. And others of you are in seasons of ministry that have never been better. And to the one of you that's here, we all say, God bless you. We're thrilled. <laughs> but whoever you are, you don't need a seminar today. I know I don't need a seminar today. We just need Jesus. So we just quiet our hearts in your presence, Lord. If the theme of this day is truly in you alone, Jesus, then invite us into the reality of those words. That everything we need dream of, hope for, long for, is in you. That all of our healing and all of our joy and all of our happiness and all of our completeness and all of everything we crave is in you, Jesus. Then please invite us into the reality of those words and into the reality of you today. And I ask this especially for those who are leading your church, that there would be a freshness today in the simplicity of just knowing you. Please free us from this cumbersome thing that we have made out of worship and music and release us with the clear vision of who you are, Jesus. That we would instantly and so willingly and joyfully say to you, here am I. That's my hope and prayer for today. For your sake, Jesus. Amen. 
If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to look at several passages, but a core text being in the New Testament book of Colossians. To give a brief background, Paul is addressing people who are having a lot of competing philosophies. This Gnostic wave has sort of taken root among this community. The worship of angels, the ranking of angels, Jesus being one of many divine entities. And Paul's trying to come on the scene in this letter that he writes to the Colossian fellowship and say, Christ is everything. That's why I think it's a good idea to just dig into Colossians maybe on a monthly basis. And for me, uh, it's been more often than that most recently because it brings us back to the reality that Christ is everything, that He is supreme in everything and sufficient in every way. And then here's the wonder of Colossians, that we are in Him. Is that not amazing today? Is that still moving you today? This is the mystery, Paul said, which has been hidden from ages past, but now has been made known to the saints. Okay, that's beautiful to me. I mean, I, I don't know if that moves you or not, but I mean, think about the, the saints in the ages past. That's a lot of people who did not know what we know. So whatever you do with worship and music, when you put it on a timeline, there should be an explosion of it around the time of the cross and the resurrection and the New Testament unfolding in the epistles of what this means to us, that Christ has died and we died with him and that he raised from the, was raised from the dead and that we were raised with him and that we are joined together with him. That truth doesn't put a little blip on the radar of worship. So you've got the old tent worship and temple worship, and then you have the new Christ event, and there's a little blip on the radar screen. Wow, worship, you know, should take a little jump up. Worship should go off the chart in this moment. And our lives should forever be altered by the reality that what was hidden from ages past, this is Colossians, uh, toward the end of Colossians 1, has now been made known to the saints, and here it comes. Are you ready for it? It's, do you know this phrase? It is, what is the mystery that was hidden from ages past, but it's now been made known to the saints? And can I just see a show of hands of the saints today? Uh, anyone here? Just a show of hands. The saints. Okay, let's try again, because uh, either we need to go more on an evangelistic route this morning, <laughs> or a confidence boost, I don't know. I know it's England, and you're slightly reserved, and I appreciate that so much. I went to see Andy Murray carry the hopes of Britain on his shoulders at the finals at Queen's Club Sunday. It was the most proper thing I've ever done. James Blake, who is half British and half American and is a brute of an athlete, is out there playing, his, playing with all of his might. <laughs> and Andy Murray is over here who has gotten himself in shape and fit, I might add. If you see the Daily Telegraph today, turn a few pages in. There's a picture of him without his shirt on, serving. Oh, the guy is fit unbelievable. And they're playing their hearts out. I mean, it's incredible tennis, and it's just, it's quieter than it is in here right now. 6,000 people. It was unbelievable. We came on the train from London this morning. It's so perfect. 
And we got in the car that we were in, and there was a group of three, a group of two, and my friend and myself, Americans, the two of us, Brits, these two. Um, this man dozed most of the way up here, and I don't know what she did. I couldn't see her. The three Americans in the other deal, unbelievable, annoying. The man was talking as if he was on BBC and had the words that the world was waiting to hear. You know that kind of guy? And everyone else is just in the audience. It's not a conversation. It's a monologue. And his, he was talking so loud that we considered moving, you know, but we only wanted to move if we could give him that look right before we went to the other coach, you know, like, <laughs> we'll be going now. Fortunately, they were going to Windsor for the day, I think, so they got off the first stop to catch another train, and it was perfect because my friend and I hadn't been saying much because I was, we were just, you know, chilling out. But the two Brits behind us, they were so glad that guy got off, and they, the man looked at his wife like, I loved it. So I just spoke up and I said, Americans, what can you do with them? <laughs> so it may just be that you're reserved. <clears throat> but can I just see a show of hands for the saints if you're here today? If you believe in Christ and you're not raising your hand, I would invite you to a new understanding of who you are. Um, because what Christ has done for us is powerful. Now, how have you lived like a saint? Completely and fully for the last 24 hours. Show of hands. We got some work to do. See, that's why we're here today. We have somewhere to go still. But what we are, who we are in Christ, this radical transformation, the literal translation of the word saints means holy ones. In Christ alone, we've become the holy ones of God. And that becomes the information that fuels the whole journey toward discipleship. It's not a journey to do certain things to become holy. It's a journey to realize that we have been changed by Christ into holy people. So then now we want to do certain things. It's a complete reversal of religion. It's a repudiation of religion. And it's the announcement of the gospel and it's the greatest thing we've ever heard. And so he says this, what was hidden from ages past, but it's now been made known to the saints. And here it comes. Are you ready for it? How, how many of you know this phrase already? It is, say it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the bedrock today for everything. And that's what Paul's trying to convey to this church, what he's trying to say to them. And it all begins, um, for me, I mean, there's a lot of run-on sentences here, so grammatically, I don't know how good Paul was doing. But let's just jump into the stream around verse 13. For he, and the he there is the Father, if you read a verse behind, so I'd like to do less pronouns and more proper names. For he, the Father, or God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And that kingdom is a fabulous and unshakable kingdom. Comma, verse 14, in whom, and the in whom there would be in the Son He loves. So in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's, that's it. 
And that's where we begin today. You say, Louis, uh, I think you, you know, might be on a remedial track here. Absolutely. Because what I need and probably what you need is to preach the gospel to myself every day. To first preach the gospel to myself so then I become reoriented to Christ as sufficient Savior for my life. That in Christ I have been transferred out of one kingdom into another kingdom, out of darkness into light. I have redemption in Him and the forgiveness of sins in Him. Amen. If you're from the traditional stream, right on. If you're in the emerging church, hallelujah. If you're Anglican, whatever works for you doesn't matter, but something's got to come out of that. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And that is enough to fuel us to worship. Now, the stream today is music and worship. And so just to touch on that for a bit, I think music and worship are really intrinsic to humanity, don't you? All of humanity. And sometimes we miss that when we jump into a conversation about worship because we begin in the church context when worship isn't limited to the church context. Worship is a human event. And it's going on globally right now among all people. Those in the church and those outside the church, worship happens everywhere, every day. Music and worship are intrinsic and central to the human experience. If you don't believe me, I want to show you a little clip to kind of kick us off before we jump back into Colossians this morning. Uh, this was years ago. I was watching an interview that Oprah Winfrey, I don't know if you know of Oprah Winfrey or not, she's a talk show host in America. And she had this guest on who I'll let him remain unnamed for a moment, but just to give you a hint, he's going to take London by storm, apparently, next month, if he's well enough, which I say he's not, but that's just, we'll take a little side bet on that. His name's Michael Jackson. You heard of this guy? <laughs> he used to be one of the biggest personalities in the world. I mean, unreal. And at the time I was watching this interview, Oprah was doing a nighttime two-hour special. She hadn't done that before. And she had him on as her guest for two hours. And I was watching it at my house. And there came a point where she said, how does it feel? She said, I will, I will never know. But how does it feel to stand before a sea of people? And then she said, for those of you who don't know how people around the world respond to Michael Jackson, we put a little clip together for you. And then this little two-minute montage ran. And I remember sitting there with my mouth on the floor. And after it was over, I just thought, what in the world was that? And so just to begin today, worship is human. It's not Christian. It's part of the human fabric, and this will give you a little glimpse um, of what I mean by that, and then we'll come back. This is Michael Jackson, just to get you ready for his uh, 50 shows at the O2 Arena, or however many he's supposed to do there. I give him five tops, but um, we'll see how that plays out, but uh, check, check this out. Take a look. 
Is that not crazy? And I don't know about you, but my first thought was, I'm not sure I've ever seen better worship in my life. Not a very good God, but great worship. Would you agree? And at the time, I felt like the church would be shamed in some way and was so far behind the expression of humanity, this intrinsic component of humanity, which is music and worship. It's an expression of value. It's choosing what we believe in. It's saying, I affirm this in my affections. This is what I want to be about. And everybody does it. Every student at Oxford does it. Every man in London does it. Every woman in every home in this town does it. Every child does it. It's part of the human fabric to declare and announce what we value most in the core of our being and then to respond to it with everything we have. And so I watched this clip and I thought, these people must have been studying the Psalms. They got almost every... (laughs) expression that God calls forth from us. I mean, we got king in, in the equation. They were announcing him king. Look the king of pop, but pop's pretty big, apparently. So he's the king of pop. He's global. Ireland. Not too heavily represented here today, but apparently loves Michael Jackson. Bucharest, 200,000. Stockholm, a sea of people. And then there were people falling down, kneeling down, lifting their hands, shouting. And then there's this one girl at the end that you couldn't find her if you tried to hire an actress who literally is standing in awe of him. Terrible God, but great worship. Impressive but in so many ways, empty. And what we are offering into this world that is already worshiping is a worship that is responsive and that is eternal. That's the difference. And it all hinges on Christ and on an encounter with Him. You know this passage so well, but it just jumps in my heart while we're even saying this today. Psalm 40, which is a beautiful picture of this, but it's the turnaround moment for all of us, and it's what happens when Christ enters into the equation. Read it with me if you have a Bible. The psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, which is the gospel. I love that. He lifted me out, which means he was in there. You know, he got in there. He got in to the muck and mire and lifted me out. He didn't send a crane, but he, he's the one who lifted me out. That's the powerful part of the gospel. He lifted me out of the muck and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand, and he put what in my mouth? Anyone? A new song. Did he put a song in my mouth? Did he put a song in my mouth? Is that what happened? Is that what he did when he lifted me out? He put a song in my mouth? Anyone? 
Yeah, pretend like you're Americans just for a moment. Um, <laughs> did, did, he, did he put a song in our mouth? No. No, why? <clears throat> because the world already has a song in their mouth. Because music and worship are central to the human experience. And so when we see people outside of faith or outside of Christ or outside of the church, we don't look at them and say, boy, <clears throat> we want to make you worshipers. We want to invite you to worship. No, they're already worshiping. They're already worshipers. They're already great at what they're doing. The goal is for them to see Christ and when Christ comes, it's not a song that God puts in our mouth. It's a new song. Isn't that beautiful? And for all of you who wonder where we're going to land on the, the uh, styles of worship, it's right here. <clears throat> it is a hymn of praise to our God. Thank you very much. That's beautiful. You know, that's just, I say that, some of you think I'm serious with tongue in cheek. And here's the result. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel transforming worship from impressive, yet empty. I mean, one of our team, I shouldn't admit this, in fact, two of my team that's here went to see, I, I should step down when I even say this, two of our team went to see Britney Spears at the O2 Arena on Sunday night. I, I know, I know, I know, I know, it, no, don't think badly. Um, a good dear friend of ours is the official tour photography for Britney Spears tour. That might have been a whole other thing I shouldn't have said. Um, but um, isn't it cool though? I mean, as weird as it gets, and this is probably going to be recorded, but who knows. But uh, some people around her wanted believers around her on this tour and hired this guy because he's an amazing photographer and he's a Christian and they wanted more Christians in the mix. So that's kind of a cool way to be about what we're supposed to be about, right? And so he said he could get some of us in. A couple of us went. The next night, Kings of Leon at the O2 Arena. Any Kings of Leon people here? Now we're dividing the uh, generations. <clears throat> Brittany seemed to be global. Now we're sort of dividing the generations a little bit. Kings of Leon, two nights at the O2 Arena. Last night and Monday night. A whole nother generation of worshipers. A whole nother wave of music. And it's intrinsic. And so what do we have to offer? Worship? No. We have to offer the gospel which changes worship from being impressive, a la the video, though empty, to being responsive, which is simply the act of our response to who Christ is revealed to us and eternal. And that's the gospel right in between. Majesty, mercy, and mission. Let's read on in Colossians 1, just a few verses, and see where this takes us this morning. So Christ has come and transferred us by his act into a new way of living. And then verse 15, a description of who he is. Remember, Paul is trying to make it crystal clear that Jesus is everything. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Feel free to amen or write on at any point that, that your heart agrees. 
Christ is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word, since we're being theological today, for image is the word icon. Okay, iconic. Big Ben is an icon, is it not? If you see Big Ben, you know right away. What, what is Big Ben, by the way? Can I just ask that question? This was a whole new experience for me. I learned something every day. Thank you so much. Big Ben, as you know, is not the clock. See, that's what Americans think. They come and look up at the tower and say, look, there's Big Ben. No, Big Ben is inside there because it's the bell. You knew that already, though, didn't you? Absolutely. I didn't. Um, the eye is an icon. The London Eye, it's an icon now. Like it or not, it's an icon. An apple with a bite out of it? What does that mean? Mac. Mac. What does that imply? Cool. <laughs> Slightly pricey. <laughs> Hip. Creative. If you've got a Mac, you're a creator. If you're a manager or an administrator, you don't have a Mac. <laughs> you're PC all the way. It's all you know. You crunch numbers. You need horsepower. You don't need to overpay for things because they're cool. You like to underpay for things because they work. <laughs> but if you're cool and a creator and happening, and hip, and you know what's going on, you have a Mac. That's the brand that they're selling us. How many of you have bought in to the Apple brand? Show of hands. <laughs> How many of you will fight it to the death? Show of hands. Yeah. It's an icon. You don't need any other explanation. In fact, we have these commercials now with Mr. PC over here. Have you seen these? The, you know, he's the most dull, boring guy you've ever seen. Can't figure anything out. And you got this cool, hip, you know, 20-something-year-old guy over there, his hand in his pocket, you know, and he's just kind of chatting away, having a nice time in life. And they're trying to define us by the icon. That's what icons do. The Greek word for icon is icon. <laughs> I only share that, Martin, because, you know, most of the Greek words, you don't know how to pronounce them or spell them, but this one is easy. It's icon. And what does it mean? It means that when you see Christ, you get it. The whole story of God when you see Christ. He is the icon of this undefinable, unfathomable creative, powerful, self-existent being who, who none of us can fully get around, none of us can fully comprehend, none of us really could even embrace, but yet Christ comes on the scene and He becomes the icon for God, the image of God. When you see Christ, you get all of God, and what you get is majesty, mercy, and mission. You get a, a million M's. Those came out like a preacher came up with that. And they just happened to fall that way. There wasn't any planning into that, I promise. 
There, there may be a thousand M's and a thousand A's and a thousand B's and C's and D's and E's and F's because Christ is so multifaceted as the representation of the unseen God. But what you know about God when you see Christ is majesty and mercy and mission. And that's what worship is all about. Majesty because who knows what it's like to be Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. So He's been around for a while. For by Him, Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and, I love that conjunction, for Christ. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ. Wow. I've been reading a lot of A.W. Tozer. Does that name ring a bell with anybody here? It's a preacher in the 50s and 60s. And when you read his writings, you almost think he's been on the train with you. He's so in touch with the dilemma of the modern church, the contemporary church in, in the world. But he was writing all these things decades ago. But he, he made a statement a few days ago. I'm reading this daily compilation of his readings. And he said, he said, to see Christ is to be completely undone by Him. And he said, to be in a group of believers and hear a casual approach to Christ is simply an indication that they have never seen a glimpse of His glory. You see, it begins with majesty. It begins with a Christ who created the world, who spoke a word, who birthed a universe, who, who spoke into nothing and everything came out of it. Not someone that we just cozy up next to and go, well, Jesus, I just want to hang out with you today. I just love you so much. Think the world of you. Appreciate what you did for me. And that's all there ever is. That's all there ever is, is this sort of very banal level of relationship with Christ that's completely void of any majesty or the understanding that to be in His presence is a terrifying thing for you and me. And to begin to understand through revelation who He is. And that begins to open something in us that changes us because majesty is in us but only in the revelation of majesty is the majesty that is in us unlocked in us and we aspire to be majestic not to be God not to be as majestic as God but to be majestic in our own being because we're filled with majesty this is the hope of glory Christ in you the hope of that you'll be okay <laughs> 
Christ in you, the hope that you'll be better than your pagan neighbor. Christ in you, the hope that you'll tolerate someone. Christ in you, the hope that you'll maybe accomplish something. No, it's Christ in you. The hope of glory is inside of us. That means there's, there's residual majesty in us. There's potential inside of you today. You are not destined to just sort of exist, but you are created in Christ to be majestic, to grow up into this wonder of God that some of that wonder would be in you. And without majesty, we don't understand and we will never fully worship. And without majesty, the world will never know that they need a new song in their mouth. It's when they see the best that they become in touch with the less. (laughs) And we are those people of God. And there's mercy Immediately you see that in the icon of God. God wants us to know, if you see my brand, my brand is majestic, but it's also merciful. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Christ's blood shed on a cross. That's mercy. So majesty moving into mercy. And then he says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. There it is. In his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And then there's a pause And you have to take that pause. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That's powerful. And it's worship. And if you go on to let this unfold, you see mission. It's Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, probably for me, the summation of what worship is all about. Through Jesus. That's it. It's the central core and the crux. Through Jesus, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Continually. Which is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So bring a song Bring words, allow music to happen, let the anthems play. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, which is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. But then he just commas, and he says, And do not neglect in doing good and sharing with others, for with these sacrifices, God is pleased. It's majesty and recapturing that. And some of us need that today. A simple prayer, God, I need to see majesty again. Mercy. 
which without majesty there is no mercy because you don't need any mercy if you've never seen majesty. But if you've seen majesty, you know you need mercy. And then it's mission. It's mercy that moves us to action. And Christ is the cornerstone and the central point of it all. The whole world's worshiping, and they're doing very well at it, by the way. I'm not sure some of their worship's not better than ours. Our God's way better than theirs. But it seems like their worship is so much more potent than ours. Our God is so far beyond their God's. But yet their unabashed devotion and response seems sometimes to outstrip ours. And in the midst of that, it's a simple prayer. Christ, let me see you again. Jesus, even today that's my prayer for me and for us that we would be so in touch with this iconic face of yours and this beautiful heartbeat that tells us who the Father is and what this unseen God is all about. And I pray over us today a spirit of majesty, not only that we would appreciate yours, but that in appreciating yours it would awaken ours. I pray that we would see mercy in those who need it today, would feel a touch from you, Jesus, like none other can. in mission that would easily move us into action for your sake and your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.